Please join me in prayer. Lord, open our hearts and minds to the guidance of your Holy Spirit. And now may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Through Christ our Lord, we pray. Amen. Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her then to help me. Anna Carter Florence wonders, why are the best fights so often between siblings? I guess we just know each other too well. Only a sibling knows that when you come home after a long day of unsuccessful hunting, you're so famished that you will do anything, even trade your birthright for some lentil stew. Only a sibling knows that as soon as you get your share of the inheritance, you're going to waste it all on extravagant living in six months flat. Only a sibling knows that when there are guests for dinner, especially interesting ones, you'll drop everything to be with the company while the rest of us are working like crazy to be good hosts. Lord, don't you care that my sister has left all the work to me? Tell her then to help me. Why are the worst fights, even in the Bible, between siblings? I guess we, we just know which buttons to push. After all, living in the same house, we have a lot of practice. And we know too much about each other. Florence says that's why it's so infuriating knowing that your sister won't finish setting the table or slicing the potatoes or making the gravy like she promised. I mean, she never does. She just disappears into the living room to chat as if those potatoes are going to cook themselves, just like when you were kids and she did the same thing and your parents never called her on it, not once. And here you are all these years later, no one seems to notice that if you didn't get to eat dinner at all, it isn't thanks to her, it's in spite of her. Because you're the only one in the house who takes responsibility for what happens at the table. And it would be nice if someone acknowledged that just for once. <laughs> Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her then to help me. What an amazing sentence. Notice the beautiful triangulation, the absolute lack of direct communication. <laughs> Florence says, nothing makes you revert to childhood behavior, I mean kids in the back seat behavior, like being mad at your sister or brother. Close your eyes and you can imagine little Martha and little Mary, ages four and six, after three hours in the car, Mom, she's looking at me. Tell her to stop looking at me. <laughs> and then we're always trying to get Jesus on our side because we want that endorsement, right? Lord, don't you care? So here's Martha in her 
triangular conversation with Jesus and Mary, except it isn't going where Martha planned. So we're going to take a closer look at the text, but first I'd like to invite Emily and Ashley Crawford to come up and read the same text from Eugene Peterson's paraphrase, The Message. <laughs> Good morning, everyone. My name is Ashley Crawford. And I'm Emily Crawford, and today we'll be reading from The Message, the book of Luke, chapter 10, verses 38 through 42. As they continued their travel, Jesus entered a village. A woman by the name of Martha welcomed him and made him feel quite at home. She had a sister, Mary, who sat before the master, hanging on every word he said. But Martha was pulled away by all she had to do in the kitchen. Later, she stepped in, interrupting them. Master, don't you care that my sister has abandoned the kitchen to me? Tell her to lend me a hand. The master said, Martha, dear Martha, you're fussing far too much, beginning yourself worked up over nothing. One thing only is essential, and Mary has chosen it. It's the main course and won't be taken from her. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you very much. Excellent reading. That's great. You know, it is always a good idea to read from different translations. I love how Eugene Peterson uses contemporary language in describing the situation. Do you notice how, how Martha made him feel quite at home? How Mary was hanging on every word he said? How Martha asked Jesus to tell Mary to lend her a hand? It helps bring the text to life. It's interesting that the NRSV, which are the Bibles in your pews, it says that Martha was distracted by many tasks, while the message says that Martha was fussing too much and getting worked up over nothing. So there are actually two different Greek words that the NRS3 translates as distracted. The first Greek word used in verse 40, Martha was distracted by her many tasks, means to be drawn in different directions, to be encumbered, overoccupied, too busy, surrounded by many objects of care. The second Greek word in verse 41, where Jesus says, Martha, Martha, you are worried and distracted by many things, can also be translated anxious and troubled. So I think here the NRSV is more accurate to use the word distracted. Martha is not so much fussing as she is distracted and troubled with care. She's too busy for joy, trying to focus on too many things at once. There's nothing unusual about what Martha is doing. Showing hospitality, welcoming guests, feeding them well. It was very important to be doing these things in that culture, just as it is in our culture. And Martha is doing her best to show hospitality to Jesus. But while she is busily working in the kitchen, her sister Mary does something unusual. Normally in the ancient world, all of the adult women would have shared in the responsibility for preparing a meal. But Mary chooses not to help out. Instead, she sits quietly 
at Jesus' feet like a student or a disciple would and listens intently to what Jesus is saying. That's rather shocking as the role of a disciple in that day was normally reserved for men. Martha's trying to be responsible, trying to be a servant of the Lord, but it's hard to serve Jesus and fight with her sister at the same time. Florence notes, it's hard to keep focus on what he's doing when you're so mad about what she's not doing. And then you tend to say outrageous things like, Lord, if you love me, then tell Mary to listen to me, not you. Tell her to help me serve this meal my way, or I'm sorry, nobody's coming to the table tonight. Martha, Martha, you are worried and distracted by many things. There's need of only one thing. Mary's chosen the better part, and it won't be taken away from her. Worried and distracted. Wow, you try to, you, you try to serve Jesus, you know? You, you try to be a good host, but that's not what Jesus sees when he looks at you. He sees worried and distracted by many things instead. Well, sure, says Florence, you try serving Jesus while your sister sits and thinks deep thoughts in her ivory tower. God knows I want to serve Jesus, but there's so much stuff that gets in the way. Inside worries, outside distractions. It's hard to serve Jesus and fight with your siblings. It's not fair. Don't you care, Lord? Martha, Martha, you are worried and distracted by many things. There is need of only one thing. Here, I think the message that was read for us helps clarify this verse. It says, one thing only is essential, and Mary has chosen it. It's the main course and won't be taken from her. I believe Jesus is not so much rebuking Martha as inviting her to let go of crushing expectations that cause her to be distracted. Jesus wants us to focus on what is essential and not get choked by life's cares. Let the main course be the main course. Jesus makes this point in a parable that he told earlier in Luke's gospel. In Luke chapter 8, he tells the parable of the sower who sowed his seed in four different kinds of soil. The seed that was sown among thorns was choked by them. When asked to explain the meaning of his parable, Jesus said that as for the seed that fell among the thorns, these are the ones who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. The word translated cares here comes from the same root that's translated worried in the story of Mary and Martha. This soil might be very good soil, but it's crowded by thorns that choke the seed when it grows. This type of soil describes people who have too much clutter in their lives. There's no space for growth, no space for joy. 
It intrigues me that when Jesus interprets this parable, he says that the thorns which choke the seed are the cares and riches and pleasures of life. Now, I would have expected Jesus to say that the thorns are great tragedies or disasters or times of intense testing. But no, he says that it's the cares and riches and pleasures of life which choke the word of God. And that's exactly what happened with Martha. Notice what, the, you know, Martha, what Martha is doing is not a bad thing. She's being a good hostess and trying to serve her guests. The word translated tasks is the, word, is the Greek word diakonian. We get the English word deacon from that word. It means to serve or care for. It's a good thing to do. In fact, Jesus tells us it's a good thing to do in the parable of the Good Samaritan that comes right before the story of Mary and Martha. Fred Craddock notes that Luke placed these stories together to show contrasting needs and remedies. One is to go and do. The other is to sit down and listen. Jesus' word is not the same to everyone in every situation. If we censure Martha too harshly, she may abandon serving altogether. And if we commend Mary too profusely, she may sit there forever. There's a time to go and do. There's a time to listen and reflect. Knowing which and when is a matter of spiritual discernment. If we were to ask Jesus which example applies to us, Martha or Mary, his answer would probably be yes. Martha's problem is not that she's trying to show hospitality and serve her guests. As we said, that's a good thing to do. Her problem is that she is letting the cares and riches and pleasures of life choke out the most essential thing, which is the word of God. I once heard Earl Palmer say, sometimes the good things in life can keep us from the best things in life. You know, when I was in about the sixth grade, the first song I remember hearing where I memorized the lyrics was the song, Cats in the Cradle by Harry Chapin. Here are some lyrics of that song. My child arrived just the other day. He came to the world in the usual way, but there were planes to catch and bills to pay. He learned to walk while I was away. And he was talking before I knew it. And as he grew, he said, I'm going to be like you, Dad. You know, I'm going to be like you. My son turned 10 just the other day. He said, thanks for the ball, Dad. Come on, let's play. Can you teach me to throw? I said, not today. I got a lot to do. He said, that's okay. And then the final verse. I've long since retired. My son's moved away. I called him up just the other day. I said, I'd like to see you if you don't mind. He said, I'd love to, Dad, if I could find the time. You see, my new job's a hassle and the kids with the flu, but it's been sure nice talking to you, Dad. It's been sure nice talking to you. And as I hung up the phone, it occurred to me, he'd grown up just like me. My boy was just like me. After hearing that song, I remember thinking that I was never going to allow my career, however good it might be, 
to get in the way of my relationship with my kids. And fortunately, I had good role models in my own parents. You know, your career can be a very good thing. Serving and showing hospitality are good things. Your family, your friends, your money, these can all be good things. But they can keep you from the best thing, which is God. That's why these good things can be seen as thorns. The cares and riches and pleasures of life, if you allow them to distract you from what is essential, can choke God's seed and prevent us from experiencing true joy. Sometimes the good things in life can prevent us from the best things in life. That's why it's important to, to develop priorities, not only choosing between bad and good, but also choosing between good and good to eliminate the clutter. We need to decide what is most important to clear away the thorns and give Jesus a chance to grow. And it's not just Martha. It's all of us. Anna Car Carter Florence wonders, what if Mary started to get, to get tired of sitting by the feet of Jesus? What if she was tired of being the only one responsible for recording what Jesus was saying? If she said, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to be by your feet and take all the notes by myself? Tell her then to help me. What do you think Jesus would say? Of course he would. Mary, Mary, you are worried and distracted by many things. There is need of only one thing. And Martha has chosen the better part. You know, I think it's uh, unfortunate that because of this passage, sometimes people have viewed Martha in a negative light. So I'd like for us to look at one more passage that tells the story of this remarkable family. It's found in John chapter 11, where we find Jesus' most spectacular miracle, the raising of Lazarus from the dead. According to John, the reason for the crowds on Palm Sunday is because this miracle of raising Lazarus from the dead makes Jesus famous. This incident also triggers the wrath of the religious leaders so that they begin plotting his death. I received an email this week from a congregation member that contains a sermon by Diana Butler Bass about some intriguing new research raising questions about whether this is the same Mary and Martha from Luke's story. But that's for another sermon. <laughs> According to the traditional reading of this text, Jesus' main conversation partners as he travels to Lazarus's tomb are the same Mary and Martha who are Lazarus's sisters. And Martha in particular comes across as an amazing person of faith in this passage. Lazarus has just died in the midst of overwhelming grief and personal loss. It's Martha who comes to meet Jesus. It's Martha who engages Jesus in a theological discussion about the resurrection. It's Martha who confesses her faith in Jesus Christ as the Lord. When Jesus says, 
I am the resurrection and the life. Do you believe this? Martha replies, yes, Lord. I believe you are the Messiah, the son of God, the one coming into the world. And she says this before Jesus' own resurrection and before Jesus acts to resuscitate her brother. Now, admittedly, Martha also makes this confession before she fully understands what Jesus is about to do. Martha objects when Jesus asks for the stone to be rolled away because after four days, the body will have started to decompose and smell. She doesn't foresee what Jesus is about to do. And yet, on the basis of what she does know about Jesus, she puts her trust in him. There's a great quote from Sam Shoemaker. Faith means giving as much of myself as I know to as much of Christ as I know. On that basis, Martha had a great deal of faith. Here, Martha is not distracted and worried about many things. She's focused on the one essential thing, Jesus, the Son of God, the Messiah. She then experiences true joy as she watches Jesus raise her brother Lazarus from the dead, a foreshadowing of Jesus' own resurrection into eternal life. Our current sermon series is called Reclaiming Our Joy. Here is the source of true joy. Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God, calling us into resurrection life. Resurrection is the reason we can have joy even in the midst of challenges. Resurrection is the reason that the Apostle Paul, in his letter to the Philippians, uh, while he's in prison, can say, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Resurrection is not just a good thing. It's the best thing. That's why we should honor Martha for her great statement of faith. William Willimon is a theologian and a prolific author, best known for being the dean of the chapel at Duke University for many years. But after he stepped down from this position, he served for a time as a bishop in the United Methodist Church in Alabama. Now, the bishops in the Methodist Church decide which churches pastors should serve and for how long they should be there. It was while Willimon was serving as a bishop that he received what he calls the greatest compliment ever paid him in his ministry. It occurred when a district superintendent informed the pastor of their decision to send him to a little place in western Alabama. And he resisted their wisdom. And he said, I can't go there. That place is dead. There's no way I'm going to that church. I, I mean, my marriage would be ended if I tried to drag my wife out there. So the district superintendent said, all right, so you want me to tell the bishop that you don't want to move there? And he said, right, right. You tell him that that church died 10 years ago. I can't believe they're still trying to send people out there. That, that's horrible. The superintendent said, all right, I'll, I'll tell him that. But let me just warn you. 
this bishop, he actually believes in the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so you say to this guy, that church is dead? I mean, that don't mean anything to him. Resurrection hope. Resurrection joy. The Greek word for joy is the same root for grace. And grace is a surprise gift of love. If we lay hold of God's grace and are not distracted by many things, we will have joy. Don't be too busy for joy. Don't let the cares and riches and pleasures of this life choke joy out of your life. Don't let the good things in life keep you from the best things in life. Choose resurrection life through Jesus Christ. Choose joy. When we do this, what can it look like? Tom Long tells the story of his friend who told him about taking a church youth group on a mission trip to Jamaica. On their trip, they visited one of the local elementary schools and they spent some time observing in a classroom that was seriously overcrowded with children. Most of them very poor, all of them needy and wiggly and noisy and unruly. It was a difficult, sometimes even chaotic learning environment. But the youth group marveled to see the teacher carry herself with great calm and patience, treating all of the children with love and respect, despite the poverty, despite the, the chaos. They decided that the only way she could do this was that she must really love being a teacher. But they were surprised to hear her say, oh, I don't come here every day mainly because I love teaching. I come here every day because I love Jesus and I see Jesus in every one of these children. You know, sometimes we're asked whether we're more like Mary or more like Martha. We're actually called to be both, like this teacher. I think that teacher had been like Mary, sitting at Jesus' feet. And because she had, she could get up like Martha and teach those children with joy and hope, seeing Jesus in the face of every one of them. May it be also so with us. Thanks be to God. Please pray with me. You have taught us, O oh God, that the way to life is to love you with all of our heart and to love our neighbors ourselves. But we're so often overwhelmed by the swirling demands of life that we can't truly do either one. But then in your mercy, there is Jesus visiting our homes and speaking to us words of resurrection life. So help us, like Mary, sit at his feet and listen to his word that gives life. And then having heard that word, Help us, like Martha, get up to serve others in Jesus' name. Amen.